Well, thank you for coming today and joining with us in this wonderful time of focusing on Jesus and singing to him. He's so worthy of our worship and our love and our adoration. He's worthy of our service to him. And really, that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks of rekindling our fire or our spiritual fire, serving the Lord with passion, with wholeheartedness. We've been talking about that. And the verse we've been using is found in Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 11. Do we have that up there? There we go. Never be lacking in zeal, the Bible says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The word fervor there is a word that means to, to boil. The idea is that if you have some liquid like water and you have it close enough to a heat source that if it gets close enough, it will warm up to the point it begins to boil. If it's a solid and it gets close to that, it begins to glow. And so the Bible says that you and I, in our service to the Lord, we should be boiling. We should be glowing. That means that we should have this fervency. We should have this, this enthusiasm, this, this wholehearted devotion, giving it everything we've got in our service to the Lord. I can think back in my life. I've been uh, serving the Lord now. Actually, been a pastor 45 years today. It's hard to believe. And um, thank you. I, um, I wasn't really fishing, but thank you for, uh, for that. I, uh, I bring it up because I think about over those 45 years of pastoring, how many times I've seen folks who were just so devoted to the Lord they wanted their life to make a difference. They just said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And they were serving God with zeal. They were serving him with fervency. And then somewhere along the way, something happened. And they lost that fervency. They lost that sense of wholehearted devotion. They, they had been running for Jesus with everything they were. They just wanted to lay it all on the line, holding nothing back, running for the finish line, fighting the good fight of faith, and then somewhere along the way, something happened, and they sort of throttled it back and decided to just sort of coast the rest of the way. And oftentimes, one of the major reasons why that happens is because in your service for the Lord, you got hurt. Somebody criticized what you were doing. Somebody talked about you. Somebody was jealous of you. You felt overworked and underappreciated. Nobody cares. Nobody notices. Maybe someone you were looking to made a mistake. Maybe they had a moral failure and you were disillusioned and disappointed. Maybe someone did something to you, someone who maybe in church leadership didn't treat you right, they were ugly to you, they lost their temper at you, they took something from you or they didn't do what they said they were going to do. It goes on and on. It's, it's unlimited. The truth of the matter is that every child of God who is seeking to wholeheartedly serve the Lord, you have a bullseye on your back, and the enemy, the devil, is going to try to take you out. He's going to try to get you to throttle it back. And one of the primary ways he does that is through hurting us, through other people. We all get hurt. We all get lied about. We all get taken advantage of. We all get betrayed. We all get criticized. You know, we, we all are falsely accused. We all have our motives questioned. We all get disappointed. I mean, it happens to us all. And it's one of the primary ways that the enemy seems to just, you know, he finds a believer who's out there just 
wholeheartedly, fervently serving the Lord, and then somebody says something or somebody disappoints them, and then suddenly it's kind of like they just cool off. Now, we all get hurt, and that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble, right? And I suppose we... We're not to- we don't like it, but we're not totally surprised when this lost world that we live in opposes us. I mean, the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. You're, you're not going to be accepted as a devoted follower of Jesus in every situation. You're going you're to run into to difficulty. We expect that in the world where we get blindsided is when it happens at the church. We, we have an expectation that it won't ever happen here or it won't happen in church. I don't know why we think that. I mean, we, we expect people, we hold people to standards that we ourselves don't live up to. We know there's not one person who's a member of this church, for example, who's perfect, right? There's not one person here who's a member who makes up this church who's got it all together who always in every situation handles everything perfectly and right. And so a church is made up of people at all different spiritual levels of maturity, some who are not right with God, some who are right with God, some who have known the Lord for two days, and some who have known the Lord for 80 years. We have all different types, all different levels of maturity there are even people who come to church every week and are maybe even members of the church who really don't even know the Lord. They're religious. But somehow when we get hurt by a brother or sister or a proclaiming brother or sister or a spiritual leader, it wounds us. And if, we're not, if we don't deal with that properly, it will deflate us and it will cause us to lose our spiritual fervor and devotion, wholehearted devotion to the Lord. You ever had a slow leak in a tire on your car or your vehicle? Maybe you ran over a nail or something short and you got this small leak. And at first it's, it just seeps out slowly. Nothing urgent about it. And so you sort of really don't want to take the time to go to the repair shop and have to take the hours or or two it might take to get it repaired. So we tend to try to manage it. And so we stop every so often and we fill it back up with air and and we think it's going to be okay. And we will do this and do this and do this. And over time, usually that leak sort of speeds up a little bit. And then one day, I mean, you've been managing this for some time, and then one day, you know, you Maybe you, you go out of town, or maybe you have a couple of days where you don't use the car, and then you get up that morning, and you're getting ready to go out, and you get out there, and the tire is flat. It's deflated. I find that that is a real description of what happens to a lot of God's children who are wholeheartedly, fervently serving the Lord, and then somebody says something or somebody disappoints them or criticizes them or whatever happens, and they get this wound and there's this slow leak begins to happen and they're angry and then they feel sad and then they feel guilty that they're angry and then they feel grief and then they want to get even and they rehearse it over and over again in their mind how unfair it was. Then they feel unappreciated. They feel disrespected. They feel you have all these emotions. And all the time that it's doing that, it's just draining you, draining you. We've all been there. I know you know what I'm talking about. And when you, when you get wounded and, and you've got this hole in your emotional bucket, you got a nail in the bucket, and your emotional tire, it just seeps out. If you took this bottle of water, and if I punched a hole in the bottom, it'd start draining out, right? 
If you had a funnel, you could stand there all day long and try to keep it filled up, but you couldn't keep it filled up. It'd be draining. Just keep draining. keeps draining. When you get wounded, when you get hurt, it's like it punches a hole. It wounds you. It punctures you. And now, you know, I just, what begins to happen is I, I'm just drained by it. And I'm rehearsing it over and over again. I can't get over it. I'm upset about it. I'm mad. I feel taken advantage of. And, and so all of that. And so my emotional energy, the grace that God gives us every day to deal with the stresses of life, as that emotional bucket begins to go down, suddenly I don't have the energy to deal with the normal everyday stresses of life. So you know what happens? I get irritable. And I start getting impatient. I sort of start, start getting sharp and short with people and, and maybe snapping somebody's head off and, and, and not being kind and not taking the, I don't have the energy to try to, you know, be sweet about it. And, and you know, and then it keeps getting a little bit lower. And, and now, you know, what used to feel like a, a privilege in serving the Lord and privilege in doing now feels like an obligation. Now it's something I got to do instead of something I get to do. And, and as, it, as it gets lower and lower, now, now I just I can't deal with life. And as, as you get totally down here, we call that depression. Now I just can't function. Now what I want to do is I want to totally withdraw because I just can't deal. And I don't want somebody wanting something from me, needing something from me, because I don't have anything to give. Because your emotional bucket has been punctured. And when you get to the bottom of that, you're depressed. And there are many people in our world, some listening right now in our live stream, some in this room probably, who are depressed. I'm not a professional. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I can tell you from experience that the vast majority of people who are depressed today are not depressed because they have a chemical imbalance. Some of them do, but most of them, that's not it. Most of them got wounded. They got a hole in their emotional bucket. And the problem is that they've never been able to get that healed. They don't know what to do. And the Bible says a solution for that. The way that you heal that hole is you pull out what it is that got stuck in there, and then you seal the hole. You heal it over. How do you do that? The Bible says you forgive. Forgiveness. The forgiveness is easy when the offense is not that big. But when you really feel like you've been wronged, it's not that easy because, I mean, after all, you think, well, that's not fair. I didn't deserve to be treated that way, and they don't deserve for me to forgive them. And you know what? That's an absolutely true statement. They don't deserve it. And we have a hard time forgiving because we, we think they don't deserve it. We think if I, it's not fair. We think if I forgive them, it's just sort of like they got away with it. I mean, they, they hurt me. And now I have to forgive and do something for them, and then they got away with it. And so we tend to struggle with that. And in, in our lives, many of us here today, many watching, we've got things in our life where we've not forgiven people because they don't deserve it. They really were wrong. They haven't ever acknowledged it. They don't deserve to be forgiven, and we won't get. But the problem is those things keep, a slow leak going on in our lives, and you will not be able to serve the Lord with fervency and wholeheartedness until you forgive. Do you want to stand before the Lord Jesus one day? And you, imagine, you're standing there, and you're looking up, and there is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord of the universe. You're at the judgment seat. You're about to, your life's about to be examined over how you lived your life for Christ. 
your fervency for him, your wholehearted devotion is about to be tested. You look and you see the nail prints in his hands, his feet. You remember how he said of those who were mocking him as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you think about what he forgave, and now you're sitting here and you're going to go, well, Lord, I, I didn't really serve you with my whole heart because, well, I got my feelings hurt one time when I was at church, and I was serving in the children's area, and Is that, is that, do you want to waste your life, the one opportunity you have to serve the Lord and, and be de- wholeheartedly devoted to him? It's not fair what they did to you, but Jesus didn't do it to you. You're not running for them. You're not devoting your life to them. You didn't start serving Jesus because of them, for them. You're doing this for Jesus. Is he worthy? Does he deserve it? So how how do we get rid of this unforgiveness? How do we, because when you've really been hurt, it's not, you can't just go, okay, you know. So let me just say, forgiveness is not minimizing what's happened to you. Forgiveness is not going, oh, well, it's no big deal, because it is a big deal. It's not saying, oh, I didn't even notice, when you really did notice. It's not trying to rationalize it by saying, well, you know, maybe if I walked a mile in his shoes, then, you know, who knows, maybe I'd have done the same thing. No. Forgiveness is recognizing they really do owe you. They really do. You were wronged. It wasn't fair. They really owe you a debt. They owe you an apology. They owe you an explanation. They owe you retribution. They owe you something. And that's what happens. When somebody sins against you, it's like there's a debt, and you have this sense of that's not fair. It, you know, they owe me something, and, and it's not fair what they did, and we need to get this back even, and everything in you wants it to get back fair and equal again, and the and I want it to get even, and we call getting even revenge, right? <laughs> so how do, you, how do you forgive? So I'm going to give you some practical steps today. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, the Scripture says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See the word forgive there? To forgive means to cancel the debt because when someone sins against you, they owe you a debt. They owe you something. The Bible uses that terminology. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Just a synonym for sins. In Matthew 18, we're told, Jesus told a story of a king who had a servant who owed him a great debt, and the king forgave him the debt. That servant who had another servant who owed him a little debt, he would not forgive or cancel that debt. So we have this, that forgiveness is about canceling the debt that is truly owed me. So when somebody has wronged you, they really do owe you. And forgiveness is canceling the debt. But the problem is they don't deserve it. They oftentimes don't even acknowledge it. And even if they do, they don't seem to understand how deeply they wounded you. Have you noticed that? I've noticed in my life that even if somebody comes back and says to me, I'm sorry, they're never as sorry as I think they ought to be. 
Have you noticed that? They always seem to want to move on a little quicker than I do. They always seem to want to just sort of say, I'm sorry, and then move on, and everything's fine, and I sort of want them to grovel a little bit. So we don't forgive because they deserve it. This is really, really important. They don't deserve it. The word forgive in Ephesians 4.32, the word forgive is built on the same Greek root word as the word grace. And you know what grace is? Grace is undeserved favor and blessing. So you and I forgive people as an act of grace. It's something you choose to give away. They don't deserve it. And there's nothing they can do to deserve it. And if they spent, uh, quite honestly, if they spent the rest of their life trying to make it up to you, they really can't undo what's been done. Forgiveness, canceling the debt, has to be done as an act of grace on your part. And the Bible tells us in verse 32 how to do that. Forgiving one another as an act of grace, just as God in Christ forgave you. You don't deserve to be forgiven by God, do you? Why does God forgive you and me? He forgives us because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for us. And the Bible says you and I are to forgive each other for the same reason. You don't forgive that person because they deserve it or because they've earned it or because they've somehow done something that's made you feel like now they're worthy of your forgiveness because that will never happen. You forgive them for Jesus' sake. You do it for him. Many, many years ago, I had a, a person who was in the church that I think was just a snake in the grass, to be honest with you. He joined the church. I think he, I, I don't know what, it, I, I can't judge his relationship with God, but I can tell you, he intentionally betrayed me. Now, the reason I know that is because he told me that's what he did. And one day he came in and sat down in my office and he said to me, you know, I've been calling people in the church and I've been telling them that you're mad at them. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I called Ms. So-and-so the other day and I said, uh, has the pastor called you lately? She said, no. He said, well, doesn't he love you? I love you. I called you. Why didn't he call you? He told me he's doing this. I was, I was dumbfounded. He was lying about me. He gave me several examples of things that where he was, he told, he went one time, doesn't matter. He went one time and told folks that I was about to sell the church building and merge the church with another church. I'd never even talked to these people. This was completely blatant. He had half the church mad at me, and I was mad at the other half. <laughs> and this guy comes in my office and tells me what he did, and I, I thought he was confessing it because he wanted forgiveness, so I said, well, go and sin no more. And he went out and kept doing the same thing. I want to tell you, I was so mad at that guy. If I could have got my hands on him, I'd have wrung his neck. And I knew I shouldn't be that angry. I knew that, you know, you ever had that? And so I'd pray and pray and pray and pray, and I'd sort of pray myself back down to where I thought, ah, then I'd hear something else he said. Just erupt all over again. This went on for a while. And I couldn't get over it. I couldn't, I didn't know how to get past it. And one day I'm praying and the Lord just sort of spoke to me and I, I imagined Jesus hanging on the cross. And in my mind, Jesus is bloody. He's beaten to a pulp. He's 
He doesn't even look like himself. He's puffy. He's bruised. He's battered. Blood from one end to the other. He's hanging there. He's gasping for air. He's in agony. And I imagined in, that Jesus looked at me and he said, Son, is this payment enough for what he did to you? Son, I know he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But will you do it for me? Well, that's a whole different question, isn't it? You see, you and I don't forgive because they deserve it or because they earn it or because they're worthy of it. You and I forgive the same reason God forgave you. We do it for Jesus. So Jesus says, I want you to cancel the debt and I want you to do it for me. Now, it might be that something that, an exercise that might help you, if, if, if you're really struggling with this, then I would encourage you to, to go get alone with God, get a notebook and a piece of paper. This is just for you to see. Nobody else needs to see it. And you need to try to write down what does this person or these people owe me and try to articulate it and define it. I mean, literally list it on the page. They owe me what? Now, let's say they stole $50 from you. Well, that'd be easy to define. They, they owe me $50. But when somebody's hurt you and wounded you emotionally, that's not so easy to define, right? Or maybe it's a father who wasn't there when you were a kid or a mother who abandoned you. Or, or how do you define, how do you put into words these wounds that people do? Well, here's the problem. If you can't define it, how can you cancel it? If you don't even know how to define what you think it is they owe you, how can you effectively cancel that debt? So I want to encourage you to sit down and, and, and ask God to help you and try to write down, they owe me my self-esteem that they took from me. They owe me my virtue they took from me. They owe me whatever it is. Try to put it into words. And you may have half paragraph. You might have a notebook full. Take some time to do this. I've had people do this through the years, and I'm telling you, it's liberating. But it's hard, it's hard work. But ask God to help you do that and identify the debt. Because it's only after you have identified what the debt really is that you can really cancel that debt. So let me illustrate it. I've, I've done, told this illustration before, but humor me. Um, suppose you owned a store a grocery store, and I came and shopped in your store. And I'm, I've, I put some groceries in my shopping cart, and I come up, and I'm, I'm getting ready to check out, and we're having a pleasant conversation. You're ringing it up and checking out, and, and you say, okay, that'll be $200. And I go, thank you, and I reach, and I go, I forgot my wallet. I don't have my wallet. Look, would it be okay with you if you just put that on my account and and, uh, and, and I'll pay you Sunday when I see you at church. And you go, sure, you know, I, I'll see you Sunday, no problem. So you get here on Sunday, and you see me, and I look at you, and I wave at you across the auditorium, but I don't say anything about the money. So you walk away, and you think, well, you know, he, he was busy. He was probably preoccupied, a lot on his mind, and so he'll, he'll pay me. So you, the next week you come to church, full well expecting I'll pay you that week, and you can't prove it but you think I was avoiding you. By the third week, you're certain I'm avoiding you. And now several weeks goes by, and now things are odd between us and weird. And finally one day, let's say you walk up to me and you go, Glenn, look, I, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know why you've done this or whatever, but I just want you to know, forget about the $200. I cancel the debt. Just forget it. So I go, thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's say the next day you go back to work then and you pull up your records and your books and you're getting, you pull up my account and you're getting ready to write off that $200 and just, I canceled that debt. He doesn't owe this anymore. But now when you cancel that debt, you suddenly look at my account and you realize, well, this isn't the first time I've done that. And you start adding up all the other times I've done and all of a sudden you realize I owe you $10,000. You know what you're going to do? You're going to get on the phone and you're going to say, Glenn, 
we need to talk about this debt you owe me. And I'm going to go, I thought you forgave me. Why are you always bringing up the past? And the reason that you keep bringing it up is because you legitimately forgave me. You gave me $200 worth of forgiveness, but I had a $10,000 debt. And many of the times the problem with why we can't get over things is because somebody has wounded us and we legitimately think about something they did and we go, I forgive them, but that wasn't all that they've done. And then something else happens later on. I remember something else and then I want to talk about that. And they keep saying, why do you keep, you can't get over this. You keep bringing this up. So take a notebook and sit down and ask God to help you to calculate the debt. What is it? Take whatever time that needs. And then once you have that, I really think this is the best I know how to describe what I think they owe me. Then forgiveness means, okay, I cancel this debt. They don't owe me an explanation. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me an acknowledgement. They don't owe me. I just, I'm I'm not going to try to collect on this anymore. And I'm doing this not because they deserve it. I'm doing it for Jesus as an act of grace. Lord, I'm doing this for you. I canceled the debt. One of the problems we have is we go, well, if I do that, it's like they just got away with it. And so that brings us to the third principle, commit the debt to God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is an example to us in the way he handled unjust treatment. And it says in verse 23 that when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself. Evidently, in the Bible, that passage, a few verses before this, says he's our example in how to do this. So when someone has unjustly treated you, they've hurt you, they've reviled you, they've put you down, they've wounded you, then you entrust this debt. You say, God, you're a perfect judge. You handle it. I'm canceling the debt. I'm going to stop trying to collect on it. But you handle it. Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 19 says, do not take revenge. Don't try to get even on your, yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is my right to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord they're not going to get away with it. Jesus entrusted himself to God. He says, Father, you see what they're doing? You handle it. You're a perfect judge. I'm going to trust you to deal with it in whatever manner it needs to be dealt with. And so you and I can make a list of our debts, identify, calculate the debt, cancel the debt as an act of grace for Jesus, and then we commit it to God and say, you You see everything on this list. You handle it. Now, I do not know, I don't pretend to know how he's going to do that. But what I do know is this. I know he's a perfect, perfect judge. And I am absolutely certain that one of these days I'm going to stand before Jesus and when I'm standing there and suddenly he's opened my understanding and I suddenly have answers to all my questions and I suddenly, he's tied up all the loose ends in my life, and he's let me understand things that I didn't understand, and all of a sudden, I see what he did in response to what they did to me, and I'm going to look at that, and I'm certain I'm going to go, that was perfect. I'd have never thought to do that. That's exactly what should have been done. So since I know that already, I can trust him with it now. 
and I can say, here it is, you deal with it. I'm going to quit dealing with it. I don't have to keep this issue alive because I'm trying to get something. You deal with it. Calculate the debt. Cancel the debt. Commit the debt to God. Conquer the debt. I don't usually alliterate the sermons, but it just fell together this week, so I thought I'd do that for you. Conquer. Don't be overcome or conquered by evil, but conquer evil by doing good. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, so on the contrary, rather than you trying to get revenge, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome or conquered is what the word means by evil, but conquer evil with good. So when someone has wronged you, they've done evil to you. And it is conquering you when you're not forgiving. And it's robbing you of your joy. It's robbing you of your peace. It's robbing you of your fervor for the Lord. So he says, don't be overcome or conquered by evil, but you overcome that evil by doing good in response. Don't pay back evil for evil. You do good in response. So bless the one who has cursed you. Pray for the one who has to, who's despitefully used you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, this has nothing to do with how you feel about that person because you probably don't like them very much. He says, feed your enemy if he's hungry. He's your enemy. You don't have goosebumps running up and down your spine when you think about them and all ooey-gooey feelings. They're your enemy. So love is not how you feel about that person. It's how you act toward that person. And if he's hungry, you meet the need in his life. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And when you try to bless the person who has hurt you and you do good in response to their evil, it liberates you. You overcome. This principle is so powerful that I have seen it work over and over, not only in my life, but in the lives of so many people. That you bless, intentionally bless the person. And I would encourage you, I don't know how to tell you to do it, It doesn't even matter. What matters is your motive. If your motive is to bless them, maybe you don't wind up even blessing them, but you were trying to bless them. The motive of your heart in attempting to bless the person who has hurt you sets you free because your good overcomes, conquers the evil done to you. Now, it may be something you do for them anonymously. It might be something that you, maybe you're just praying for them. I don't know what to tell you, but if you'll ask the Lord, he'll show you something. He'll put something in your mind to do. And if you will obey him and you will bless that person who has hurt you, he will liberate you. Now I want to tell you, if you will do this, if you'll calculate that debt, then you will cancel that debt as an act of grace for Jesus' sake, that you'll commit that to God and say, okay, you handle it, you see, and then you bless the person who has hurt you. What it's going to do, it's going to pull that nail out of the tire, it's going to heal that, seal that over, and then all of a sudden, all that grace that God gives you will begin to come back up again, and that joy and the peace of the Lord will return, and that fervency and that desire to wholeheartedly serve the Lord can begin to return. Now, there's one more thing that I'd like to add to this, and that is consider the reward. Because as I started this message If you're trying to serve the Lord, the devil is going to do what he can do to take you out. You cannot wholeheartedly serve the Lord without somebody having something to say about it, without somebody criticizing you, 
without somebody questioning your motives, without someone somehow being jealous of you, without somebody taking advantage of you, or, or, or somebody not appreciating you, or somebody disappointing you. It's going to happen. It's happened in the past. It's going to happen again. And your fervency and wholehearted devotion to the Lord has got to be something that you do in spite of how you're treated. Because it is a spiritual war that we are in. And you're going to get shot at and you're going to get wounded by the enemy. And so the Bible says that when you and I serve the Lord wholeheartedly and we get unfairly treated, Jesus said, now that's cause for rejoicing. In Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 11 and 12, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closes that little Beatitudes section by saying, blessed are you or happy are you when men insult you when men falsely accuse you and when they persecute you. Rejoice, Jesus said, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Because when you're trying to wholeheartedly serve the Lord and somebody hurts you and you forgive them for Jesus' sake and you keep wholeheartedly serving the Lord, Jesus says, Good job. I'm going to make that worth your while forever. So the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for us an exceeding eternal weight of glory. When the apostles, after the resurrection of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, they were preaching Jesus there in Jerusalem, and the Religious leaders who had crucified Jesus called them in, threatened them, say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They threatened them. They punished them. And then it says the apostles left and they went back to the church. And while they were on the way back, they're rejoicing that they had been honored to suffer for the Lord's sake. When you are wholeheartedly serving the Lord and you get hurt by doing so, you're suffering for the Lord. It is an honor to suffer. Is he not worthy of us suffering for him? And he says, I'll make it worth your while forever. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So here's the neat thing about it. When you forgive someone and you do it for Jesus' sake and you bless them anyway and then you get back in the fight and you get back on the track and you keep running the race, that what happens is that what the enemy meant to hurt you turns into bless you for all eternity. An eternal reward. So today, maybe somebody's here, maybe somebody watching right now. You'd have to say, man, there was a time in my life when I was really wholeheartedly running for Jesus, but I got hurt, somebody disappointed me, somebody wounded me, and I have to admit I've kind of eased it up, and I've backed off, and I kind of got out of the fight, and I kind of got out of the race, and now I've been sort of sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else. I've sort of been a spectator, and my urgent plea to you today is get back in the race. Get back in the fight. Are you going to get hurt again in the future? Absolutely. Is Jesus worth it? Does he deserve it for you to serve him wholeheartedly anyway? So when you are treated unfairly, and you will be, you got to forgive it. But you do it for Jesus' sake, an act of grace. Give it to God. Bless the person that hurts you. And consider that this is going to result in eternal reward. And keep running the race and keep fighting the fight. I want you to bow your heads. Let's just take a minute. I just want to ask you today, are you, are you wholeheartedly, fervently serving 
the Lord with everything in you? Are you running for Jesus? Are you fighting the fight with everything in you? Don't let what someone else, an imperfect person with their own problems, don't let what they did to you keep you from running for Jesus with all your heart. You're not running for them. You're not fighting the fight for them. You're doing it for Jesus. He will never let you down. Some of you here today, you got some homework to do. Some of you watching right now, you, you can't just write down, pray a quick prayer and get over this. You need to take what we've talked about today and you need to apply it to your life. And you need to actually go sit down, make a list, calculate the debt. I've seen people do this numbers of times through the years. I'd sit with them in my office and I'd instruct them to do that and they would come back a week later having done it and they would say to me, it has changed everything. You can be free. You don't have to keep being a victim. You don't have to keep being this person whose life is defined by this wound. You can be an overcomer. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those who are listening right now on their phones or on their computer screens or they're watching on their TV, listening to a podcast or those in this room. You, you know all about what's happened. Every one of us have a story. Our lives are have many examples of mistreatment, unjust dealings, and unfair things that have happened to us. And your people have been wounded. And some who are listening today are still wounded. They haven't known what to do about it. They haven't known how to get healed. And the, the whole driving of trying to get even is because they want to be healed. I pray that today you would give them the grace to forgive the people who have hurt them. And there may be people in their lives that are continuing to hurt them on a regular basis. And so I pray that you'd give them the grace to just keep on forgiving as they need to just keep entrusting it to you, keep canceling the debt, keep trusting you to deal with it. I'm asking you to heal wounded hearts in lives today. There may be some who will watch this broadcast later. There will be a divine appointment as they hear your truth. I pray for their healing. Lord, I pray for your people right now that you'd restore their hearts and heal their hearts and fill their hearts with your joy, with your peace with an overwhelming desire to make their life count for you. I pray you'd help us to get back in the race today to fight the good fight. As your people this week seek to to try to do what we've talked about today, I'm asking you would you would reveal things. You would, by your spirit, bring things to their minds. Maybe things they've repressed, things they've forgotten. I pray that, Lord, if, if those are wounding them, then I pray you'd bring it to mind. And I'm asking you to change our lives this week. I'm asking you to set the prisoners free because you said, Lord Jesus, you said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those who are captive, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to set the prisoner free. It is my prayer you would do that today. Do that for your people. 
heal their hearts and get them back in the fight so that, Lord, for all eternity, they might rejoice in the mighty way that you made it worth it and how proud you are of them that they would count it honor that they could suffer for your name's sake. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, of our lives. You're worthy of our devotion. You're worthy of our wholehearted service. So may you be glorified today and in how we respond to this, your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so grateful that you've come today. I hope that you were blessed. I hope you experienced God in our time of worshiping the Lord, in our time of listening to the truth of his word. And I hope that you won't be a hearer of the word and not a doer because you'll just deceive yourself. This won't do you any good unless you go put it into practice. But if you will obey what God has said, he will liberate you instantaneously this week. It will happen. So I hope you'll do that. If you're our guest here today, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. I hope that you were blessed. I hope you encountered God. And if you did, you would really bless us if you'd let us know you were here. And you can do that by taking the blue card that's in the seat back in front of you. Just put your information on there. It won't take you 10 seconds. And drop it in the offering buckets as you make your way out today. And what we'd like to do is just send you a text or an email. Just establish a communication and just say thank you for coming. I hope that you'll let us do that this week. If you'd like to join our church, you can do that by taking the gray card and just checking the box that says, I want to pursue membership in the church, and just drop it in the offering bucket as you go out today. And we'll contact you this week and explain the really simple process we have of how you can become part of this church family. Maybe you'd like to be baptized. Uh, we're going to be baptizing the Labor Day weekend, the first week of September. And so some of you maybe have never been baptized by immersion since you gave your life to Jesus. And it's been on your minds, and you know you've been needing to do it, and maybe you've put it off, put it off. Now's the time. This would be a great opportunity. So if that's you, take the gray card, check that box, and put it in the offering box. The rest of us, as we make our way out today, don't forget to give your offerings to the Lord. And so let's stand together. Father, bless your people today. May this message, oh God, may your truth set us free. And I pray that this week, your joy and your peace and your fervent heart would cause our hearts to begin to boil, glow with a desire to serve you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for coming.